Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Debeoki, David Brothers, Christopher Butcher, and myself, Chip Sadarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. Today, we're talking about volumes three to five of the Seven Seas series, BL Metamorphosis, by Kaori Tsurotani. Avid listeners will remember that we covered volumes one to two last season, but with the recent, or upcoming, I don't know when this airs, release of volume five, the final volume, I thought it'd be a nice idea to close out the series here in season two. For those unfamiliar, BL Metamorphosis revolves around a unique friendship between an elderly woman named Ichinoi? I want to say Ichinoi? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. And a teenage girl named Arara. What brings them together is a mutual zeal for boys love manga, a type of manga where a boy loves another boy very much. Now, because we're talking about the end of a series, I highly recommend you pause this episode and come back when you've finished it, because as always, we're going to be pretty spoiler heavy. So yeah, we're back with some more BL love love. As host, I don't have to go first, which is fantastic. (laughs) So I am going to toss it out to, let's see, I get to do this. So I'm going to say, um, Christopher, Christopher. We we did we did volumes always picking on me. We did volumes one to two last season, and we all really enjoyed it. What are your thoughts on volumes three to five? Well, for those of you who haven't listened to the previous episode on BL Metamorphosis and from season one, I actually loved one and two so much that I just kept reading and read three and four as well, and then kicked myself because I had to not spoil it for everybody else who hadn't read them on the first <laughs> podcast. So. I think it's pretty safe to say I was really looking forward to Volume 5, which we should point out was provided by Seven Seas as a review copy so that we could actually review it, even though we record early and blah, blah, blah. It was really kind of them to send us Volume 5. We paid for 1 to 4, so don't get any ideas. (laughs) (laughs) We're still clean. (laughs) I was so worried reading this the last volume today. I was so worried because Ichinoi is very old. Yes. And I almost cried at one point. I got really teary actually reading this book. And then it ended in a really beautiful way. And I am, I believe it stuck the landing from this like five volumes of build up in a way that I don't think I saw coming. And I really appreciated. And that's what I have to say about it is I'm really happy about it. I'm going to let someone else spoil it for a change. <laughs> <laughs> So Chris is really happy that the old lady died. Is yeah, that what you're weird, saying? Right? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of already spoiled it. She's 2021 is dead. Dark as shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> I she didn't die. I'm glad yeah. she didn't die. But also change, I guess. You know, death is just big change, right? And the mm-hmm. change at the end of the series is pretty monumental. And I didn't actually I didn't see any of that coming. Mm-hmm. Where she up and just moves out of Japan. Like, whoa. <laughs> like yeah. in her like late seventies, she just ups and leaves Japan forever. And that is a lot. Like it was so much, but it made perfect sense. And it was I just reread three and four again after I read volume five. And it's sort of telegraphed a little bit. Yeah, I feel like it comes up early yeah. on too. Yeah. Yeah. Where like she can't live with her daughter because her daughter and her are both stubborn and they're so different and yada yada yada. But the big theme of this one was memory. Of volume five, the last volume is memory. She's losing her memory and she doesn't have Alzheimer's or anything like that. Knock on wood, but she is 
recognizing that she's getting older, she's getting more forgetful. She's, she's losing things. And she realized that maybe she is going to need somebody else and need to be with somebody else. And her daughter offers, and it's like heartbreaking because it means that the end of her friendship with Urata, who we've like, we've, we've grown to love this relationship between these two, these two ladies. So it made me tear up a little bit, but it was good. It was really good. The interesting thing you said there was about how it was like, it was a monumental the, change at the end. The one interesting thing surrounded by my fucking endless nattering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, on, you went on, on, you went on. But what I found fascinating was nothing in the series, including the ending, was monumental. Mm. Like everything was treated yeah. quietly and kind of matter of factly. Even the last couple of p- pages, you know, there's a, there's a lot of space given to the main character in, in, in the empty space of the old lady's home. Mm. But it's just, it's very kind of matter of fact. Like her, on the phone saying, I found the books. Yeah. All right. I'll send them today. Like, that's it. Like, cause it's the reader's more invested in the relationship than the characters are. Yeah. Right. I think also the most monumental thing doesn't happen because Urara is too nervous to talk to the cartoonist when they finally meet. <laughs> yeah. Cause if the cartoonist had said like, Oh, your book was really cool. Like that would have been, that would have been like the coming of age movie moment when like yeah. the music comes up and she's like, Oh, this is my path. But yeah. instead it's just kind of a, like there's a song lyric I like a lot from childish Gambino song, baby boy, where he says there was a time before you and there will be a time after you. And it yeah. sort of puts into place like the context of what's happening. Like you're here, this is your time and everything has its own time. Like nothing lasts forever. So I think, their friendship changes, but it's not over necessarily. You know, she's still yeah. mailing books to her friend. Like they can't hang out the way they once did, but they, they introduce talk. like video calling. But they also weren't, they weren't constantly hanging out. Like that's the other thing. Like it's there's yeah. not, a, there's not a huge difference. Like anyways, I'm derailing a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's the manga explaining way. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, David, since you chimed in there, you're next. How did you feel about volumes three to five? I was so relieved the old lady didn't die. Like that was yeah. my my main worry, you know, which is very like facile, but it would have kind of decided the tone of what the book was. Yeah. And I think because you know, I'm sure it's still clear, you know, she's very old and this is kind of the uh the twilight era for her. But she has this new interest, like she's been opened up a little bit by making a new friend, and it's kind of implied that that leads to a better relationship with her daughter. Yeah. Her daughter understands her better now. She's more open to the things her daughter's into. Like she's looking back at her life, you know, like Chris said, looking back at her memories and kind of realizing all these good times that she once had. Yeah. And the end result is a book that I think of, it's almost like the best picture of all the pros of being a fan of comic books. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like the relationships, like the sharing the things when they meet for tea to discuss the, the final chapter. Like yeah. I've done that so many times. That's you know? so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's like, you know, okay, we saw we all saw Tenet, like, what happened? Or <laughs> you know, this is the new fifty two, like what books did you read? Let's all get on like a big call and talk about it. Yeah. Like that's such a fun real thing to me. There were so many things in this book that were very real to me for literal and figurative reasons. Like I've done the walk that she does to Tokyo Big Site. Yeah. Thanks same. to Chris. That was my second trip to Tokyo. When we exhibited at Comitia, which they talk about in in the book, which I'm sure we'll get into later on. I don't want to monopolize yeah. it. 
but yeah, very into it. I think that they nailed it. It was like the right kind of sentimental. And the fact that it was so mundane, like you were saying, like there's nothing monumental going on, just a series of like minor emotional catharsis at best. Yeah. And you're just kind of living with these people otherwise. It made it really entertaining and really resonant for me, really strong work. Yeah. Yeah. Deb, how about you? Oh, yeah. I think all the things you were, everyone was saying it's, rings true for me. Uh, it's the, It was really sweet. I mean, the, the way the, the mood of this book, the emotional mood of this book stays at a pretty steady beat. You know, like there's mm. no, oh, and then this happened, and oh, and then that happened. You know, like the revelations that come are just kind of like, oh, that's kind of nice. Like when we find yeah. out that the that the the man that Ichinoit was has been talking to the older man that he's she's been talking to, and he uh, repays her loan. She find we find out that he's a printer. <laughs> he runs a print shop, <laughs> and that's just a lovely little revelation. Like, oh, that's why you were, that's why that character kept coming in, and. Mm. The way that he offers to print her book, he's, he's like, oh, well, yeah, well, you don't have to, but offset printing sure looks nice. Like, everyone's super cool about it, you know? I laughed out then, loud at that moment, by the way. Like, <laughs> did you? Publishing, like, just, there was just something about it where I could hear the voice of the guy saying it. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> no, no, so many, so many cute moments, right? That were, and the the part where, the Kometa-san, the, the manga artist, and Urara-san just keep missing each other yeah. is in the fat last volume. is almost like, ah! that's about, a, about yeah. as much <laughs> drama as you got. And it was slightly frustrating. But mm-hmm. it led up to what I thought was the, the emotional climax of the book was when she tells her uh, the artist at the signing, you, your book brought us, me and my friend together. And they're mm. like, oh, so sweet. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I was like beating the drums and like, I hope she doesn't die. I hope she doesn't die. And and it just ended up being like, oh, yeah, it's the same as how the rest of the book was very matter of fact and very emotionally, you know, m- mellow, I guess. Mm-hmm. There, there was no moment at the end where you were just like going, shit, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, but there's so many good moments in this book that you know like I don't know whether it's because like I exhibited a comedian was selling at one point like mm-hmm. when I went on a tour I could relate to so many of those feelings right like, mm. like there's a, there's a feeling when you're in front of when you're buying and there's a feeling when all of a sudden you're on the other side of the tables telling people I have a book you want to buy it yeah yeah and you have all these hopes and dreams about it and then it ends up being like you know like at, in, at the end of the day, it's like, wow, we actually, people walking in this show have a choice of hundreds of thousands of other books to buy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was pretty lucky to maybe sell 20. <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah. that's that kind of heart, that kind of sense of, you know, hope and heartbreak I could relate to a lot. I thought she was, re- she was really spot on with the experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she really she really nailed the feeling of selling two dollars worth of books. <laughs> and how, but how important it was to her as well that she made yeah. those two dollars, or she keeps yeah. those two hundred yen coins with her forever. I think that that's that's awesome. But also, when she points out, like, make the price more visible, like mm, people might yeah. like to know that it's cheap. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's also such like a real con life thing. 
Oh God, yeah, it totally is. It totally <laughs> it is such yeah. crazy con flashbacks throughout the entire thing. Like, David, have you ever, other than sorry, you used to sell books, obviously for for Image. You used to work mm-hmm. the cons pretty hard. Have you ever done it for your own stuff? Once at TCAF, and I've done it several times for friends, and they're all like very different experiences. You know, like mm-hmm. selling for Image, it's very much like it's like the most commercial. Even though like yeah. you're selling some very personal books, like it's a volume game, I guess. Yeah. Mm. But selling for friends, you have like a little more. The enthusiasm's different. You're almost selling your friendship in addition to the story. Mm. And selling your own work, it's like a whole other level of scary. Mm. Scary's <laughs> probably too strong of a word, but like there's no, scary's a good, nerves scary's involved. A good yeah, word. Good word. <laughs> you know, there's like very much nerves involved in there and putting your own work on display when it's just yourself, and then having conversations about it to convince people yeah. that you know that it's worth your time or their time. Like selling someone else's book is easy because you find the one thing that's like marketable and you capitalize on it like figuratively and literally. Mm. But when it's your thing, you know everything. So you're like, oh, but like this is the good part, but it's set up by this part. So you got to choose like start here. And by then, like they've walked away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it feels a little bit like like uh, going on a going on a, a date, right? Where like you yeah. want to seem too desperate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, you want to be approachable so that people will actually pick it up. Yeah, you're actually you really be, desperate. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. be pushy, and it's like, oh, it's such an awkward feeling. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend doing it by creating a, an entirely different persona. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what do you mean, Chip? I I did not think of that. I mean, it, it's very different for me. I think for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, the different persona helped. But the, the early shows I was doing, like you know, Wizard World in two thousand two thousand one. I was selling a a dark humor comedy book called Prison Funnies. And because it was, you know, a comedy book, I would always just be like, with cowboy hat on, trying to sell, and be like, hey, take a look at it. Flip through, read a couple of these. If you laugh, great, buy it. If you don't, uh, move on. That's fine. Mm -hmm. So so that made it really easy for me because I never took it personally. Like somebody looked at it and was like, "Mm, you know what? I'm just going to put it down, muttered, and walked off and be like, they're a square. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not cool. They don't get it. And they don't get me. And frankly, I don't want their business. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that, that makes it, that made it easy for me because I was never selling my art. Mm. Right. Like I wasn't selling like a book. Oh, here's my personal journey. And then they would look at it and like, I don't want your personal journey. Like I think that would feel a lot different. So mm-hmm. for me, it was, it was always fine if I made like 10 bucks or I made a couple hundred bucks at a show. As long as the book got into the hands of the people that it needed to get into the hands of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I still related to the feeling of like sitting behind a table and not quite knowing (laughs) what to do. And yeah, maybe make the price more prominent. (laughs) (laughs) Not only from my own experiences, but watching everyone around me because that's, 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 that's almost as heartbreaking as yourself not doing well is seeing somebody like mopey across from you. Yeah. You know, with, uh, with zero sales for, for a weekend. Yeah. That's really motivating. I think selling is performance, I think behind a table. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I forget what recent series we're talking about where I, I said, I love the fact the main character turned out to not be some great artist, which book oh. blank. Uh no, it was. I was gonna say blank canvas, but that's not what. Yeah, it was. but that's not it. 
but one of the but one of them, I was like, oh, I'm, I was kind of overjoyed the fact that like their creative output actually wasn't like that great, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's such a trope in stories. And so here, the fact that like <laughs> again, she made 200 yen and didn't know how to sell and wanted to wrap up early, and, like, and and the drawings weren't very good, like. Mm-hmm. I love that fact mm. that it was it wasn't about that it wasn't about like you know ascending to stardom like like the character did it, wanted to in, in blank canvas with their fantasies of everyone yeah. wearing her character's hairdo yeah right. <laughs> yeah this is very much just about the act of doing a thing is the reward mm. and having the experience yeah because otherwise you wouldn't know what it was like really do think that if you've ever made your own comics and and sold your own comics especially anywhere in in the world volume four and five the whole like going to comitia for the first time selling your stuff and then like the the response to it and things like that is going to really really hit whether you've unfortunately (laughs) never been to big tokyo big site or not you know what i mean yeah i just want to stress like how good and how real that was and how it felt it felt good. Like it didn't even, it wasn't mm-hmm. even necessarily all good feelings. Cause you're like, Oh man, that was me. I was the mopey guy one time, but like it felt good because it felt honest. Mm-hmm. And th- yeah. this book has so much honesty going for it, even when it's painful. And I think that that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There was this uh, cute moment where like, she's uh she drops off the manga at the printer and she's mm-hmm. like hopping away and she goes, is drawing manga fun? It's like, oh, like, that was fun, you know, like mm. doing it. And then when she gets the printed books, she goes, this feels so disconnected from my act of drawing this to seeing mm-hmm. this in my hands. Yeah. So this whole, these, all these rushes of emotions and feelings that she's having, you never, like in some manga, like Blue Giant, for example, like it starts off with your knowledge that this guy is going to be a genius jazz saxophonist. Like, <laughs> like, and this happens a lot in shonen manga. It's like, oh, this guy, he's so gifted, you know. And if only like he can get to this point where he he will reach his level of greatness. We just know, like even in like any sports manga, right? like Haikyuu, it's like, oh, Haikyuu, yeah, he not so sharp, but he's gonna be great someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Bia Metamorphosis, there is no promise that Urara will someday become a great Bia manga artist, no. or that she's inherently very talented. But it's the journey that's done so thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. I, th- I I find that nice and refreshing. I was going to bring up that same moment where she looks, she remembers making the comic and then she like holds the comic. Cause that was another thing where I was like, this feels so resonant to me. Like I used to work in video games doing like consulting, technical writing and doing strategy guides. So I have, I've been published a bunch but not like for my stuff, it's always like, here's how you beat, you know, SOCOM confrontation. So like having books like stopped being special to me with my name on it, you know? Yeah. But being at a con changes that because it reminds you like, oh, it's the community of the thing. It's talking to people about the book. Like mm-hmm. at TCAF, I was selling a book of prose. And one of the best conversations I had all weekend was with this older dude who wasn't even there for comics. He was just there for the library. Yeah. And he saw like a certain gun on the cover of the book and was like, oh, one of these. And I said something glib, but like factually accurate in response. And it led to a whole conversation about the history of the gun. And then he bought the book and left. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, I get it now. Yeah. Because it's never the actual, the selling part. It's like the connection at shows. Otherwise, you could just, you know, sell online or mail order. Yeah. 
a side note, that was my favorite thing about exhibiting at TCAF, which was the people who came in who had no idea what comics were. Yeah. <laughs> that was always, I love it. That was always amazing. And like, I love having conversations with those people. Yeah. For them, it was just like, well, I had no idea. Like, I, I bought Archie when I was a kid and look at this. It's really nice <laughs> to hear that because honestly, the people who had no idea about comics... The only ones I ever dealt with were the ones who were angry. That, oh, yeah, of course. I have no idea what's going on with comics, but this is not my library like it's supposed to be. And yeah. I am angry. Yeah. And you have to have those conversations. So it's nice to hear it on the other side that people had a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, ha- that happened a fair amount. And I think, I'm sorry that it, it ended up that you only heard the bad stuff, but I think yeah. that happens with almost all media, mm-hmm. almost, almost all endeavors. You will only hear the complaints and the people who are generally happy and pleased. You just have to... I guess the only way you're going to get it is psychically because yeah. they won't tell it to you. Like, we'll you just, just hold to, that like, in our hearts. <laughs> just yeah. hold it in your heart. Then you feel sure that somebody out there is grateful and happy. It sucks, but yeah. <laughs> One of the things I really loved about the whole storyline about her making her own comic and uh, exhibiting it and, and, and dealing with all that. And also, you know, meeting the author, it really reinforced to me how low of of a barrier there is to yeah to get into comics yeah ah. like because thinking back on when i first did them i was just like oh i've got enough strips to make a comic oh i guess i'll just send them to this printer and they'll give me copies and then i just pay a bit for a table and then i go to a table and i sell the comics and you're uh, suddenly you're you're a comic writer or a comic artist mm-hmm. cartoonist compared to trying to be an aspiring filmmaker which is expensive requires more people and exactly i mean there's you know you can you can do it with pros mm-hmm. but even still there isn't that kind of i mean obviously pros different genres have different communities but comics just feels like such a different thing i think just because it's a visual medium it's easier to read like selling short stories in yeah. prose versus selling short stories in comics is like two different worlds yeah yeah like you can tell from across the uh, aisle whether or not you want to read that book whereas you can't with short stories or novels Mm -hmm. so so it was really kind of heartwarming just seeing this like this teenage girl make her own book get the table sell a couple of copies just to have that experience like Mm. yeah i just found that really heartwarming and i love that it was her very first book like when she was like, "Oh, I'll make a book and like we'll exhibit together." I was like, "Oh, that's really sweet." And then I was like, "Wait, but does she draw?" You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes Ichinoi a little bit to figure out, like, "Oh, that's what you meant by selling at this show. You're gonna draw something." Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like, it that's didn't so occur cute. to her. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it's. I think if she had been, you know, like Deb was saying, if she had been like destined to be a great artist or even a good artist, it would have been a very different type of book. It would have yeah. been about her journey towards succeeding at Comitia versus their journey towards sharing their love of BL together and kind of yeah. like accepting these this next step in their life alongside each other before they step apart from each other. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't a shonen manga where <laughs> no. there's like this this big goal and you gotta go defeat that goal and then there's a bigger goal and you gotta defeat that. Lots of little and, goals. Yeah, lots yeah. of lots of they're very, very tiny, and it, it's funny. Like, I'd say about halfway through volume four, I realized that the old lady wasn't going to die. Really? Like, Did you? <laughs> because this isn't that kind of story. The, uh. the but but I did have the thought like, okay, she's not going to die at the end of the story, 
but I could very much see an epilogue that's yeah. like 10 years later uh, where you find out, you know, what, what happened to the characters kind of thing. I'm so glad they didn't do that, though. When I saw the yeah. flash forward yeah. like five months after, I was like, oh, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, like, I didn't think it was going to happen. And then I was like, oh, they got me after all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I do wonder if the author thought that. Like, I think as soon so. As, as soon as she was like, I'm going to add a little five months later, and then everyone's hearts are going to like <laughs> you skip a beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that reminded me, there's a little, in the author's note, they revealed that or volume five authors know they reveal that a lot of what the what the older lady says is from the author's grandmother as filtered by the author's younger sister <laughs> and i love that too like yeah. i think it's such like a cute it explains why the grandmother feels the way she does which is very warm mm-hmm. very open but also like kind of cool at the same time like someone to look up to yeah. Mm. There was that thing at the end of volume three, too, where it's the author's note says, Thank you for sharing all your lovely stories about your grandparents. I'm, I'm sad it's only me and my editor reading them. I would have been and crying so, reading, thinking about reading that. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. Only me and my editor stealing them, more likely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Urana has like a lot of, it comes to a lot of very emotional realizations in mm-hmm. the last three volumes. Like the moment where she's. I think it's in chap- volume three where she said, it scared me to see how a whole person's life could be sorted into a bunch of silent piles, mm. like you know, the dishes and stuff like that. And then her mother and her father are you know, arguing about Urara and then the mother saying, I just want to guide her gently. I don't want to force her to any molds. Like mm-hmm. these little moments that reveal little things about what, what Urara's life is like. What she's yeah. going through just as much as you're seeing little glimpses of Ichinoi's life, right? Where she goes to the the nursing home and they say they say matter of fact, oh yeah, and here's the graveyard where anyone who dies gets buried. It's, oh, convenient! You know, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes and sees her her friends. Her Ichinoi sees, sees her friends her age, and then she goes, oh, you know, like it's and you discover she, it's not that she doesn't have friends. It's just they don't see each other very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's the moment where she's excited to find out one of her friends is still alive too that really kind of touched from the me. new year's card oh i yeah. know my yeah. mom does that like they they read the newspaper just to check out the obituaries yeah yeah <laughs> to see who's still you're like oh yeah he died oh yeah he died <laughs> so if matter of fact it, yeah if it's a small enough community you can do it mm-hmm. had those pages open actually because it was one of the things i wanted to talk about is oh, that, this, like yeah. it scared me to see how a whole person's life could just be sorted into a bunch of silent piles like that when she's talking about the dishes and it's just like, yeah, I think that that's when we talk about little realizations that Arara makes, I think Chippy had a really good point there. And it's just like, this person is 15, you know what I mean? And terrified of the world and terrified of everything and thinks that everything's the most important thing. And at the beginning of the volume, there's such a good note. I've been thinking maybe it's okay to just try stuff whenever that never occurred Mm -hmm. to me until recently. I figured I had to be old enough before I could do different things but maybe anytime's okay, like even now. And it's just, and then you get to the end and you you realize that like, and then she realizes again, like, oh, you can try things. And oh, people do compartmentalize. Like people do put things in their place. And yeah, it's two good realizations that bookend volume three. And it's one of the things that really affected me about the series more than anything that I was probably talking about on the last episode. Just this idea that like, who you think isn't who you think you are isn't fixed and it's certainly not fixed at 15 
And then in the last volume, we see that it's not necessarily fixed at, you know, in your seventies either, you can go up and do something that's completely out of, seems completely out of character, but it's just like you change your life in this way because it's what you need at that moment. And I think that the book is so good at like driving that point home. Mm-hmm. It's, I really enjoyed that part of it for sure. Is yeah. there a word for a coming of age story for like a, 70 year old person <laughs> like i don't if that's i'm sure it's already a genre but it feels like a coming-of-age story from both angles where urara is graduating high school and moving into whatever her college career is going to be i think they're very vague about it in the book to my memory and ichinoi is moving to the u.s you know possibly for the final phase of her life but also no, I, think, I think it's germany yeah oh germany german? yeah oh okay yeah it was all the way back in volume one or two that it was germany but yeah 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 even further from Japan, <laughs> or maybe not. How I don't know how globes work. Ten hours, she says. <laughs> but it's a whole new phase of her life, and it's a phase that she had to kind of prepare herself for, like learning how to do passports. But now, thanks to her friendship with Urara, she knows how to use smartphones and video chat, and even kind of a way to keep in contact despite the distance. That isn't mm-hmm. just like trading New Year's cards every you know year or every so every now and again. Yeah. All the scenes with her and her friends were really cute, too. Mm. Where they're like trading pictures and talking about their, you know, late husbands and like dressing up and stuff. It's actually really nice. It's really yeah, yeah. super sweet. So gentle. So gentle. It's, a, it's, I mean, that's the one thing. It's, it's such a super gentle series in the way it tells the story and the story itself and, and in the characters. Cause like the one thing I've noticed a lot in the manga we've read, especially when teenagers are involved is the outsized emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and here it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Like, like no matter what the realization is, Arara stays very much the same. Like it's, it's an internal thing. It's not, not flailing arms and like, like, oh, I can't believe, you know, the deadline is in like three weeks. It's all internal. <laughs> she's, yeah, yeah, she's flailing internally, though. Like, it's still the same yeah, yeah. outsized emotion, but she she is, hmm, she's inward. She's self-destructive Yeah, in that way. Like, she's exhausted all the time because anytime she thinks about anything, it's exhausting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's too much. And she's just like constantly like lying across a set of kitchen chairs or lying on the floor. Such like, a good drawing. Yeah. yeah that that segue from her yeah. parents talking to her and like, oh, you yeah, will be okay. <laughs> yeah. I love that. She's exhausted all the time, but also it's just the mode of the whole story. Mm-hmm. Like no, no character has the outsized physical reactions, mm. which obviously really suits the tone of the, the book itself. I, I did find like when I was reading volumes three and four, I did find it a maybe a little meandering, a little slow, and in kind of the same way where maybe I'll get like, kind of like, uh, not upset, but just kind of like ugh, a little exhausted with like beautiful poetry, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Like I like I recognize what it's doing, mm-hmm. but I kind of I kind of want the story to kind of progress a bit more than than what it has been. Though in retrospect, I'm like, oh no, actually. I get it a bit more now, now that I finished it all and thinking back on it, I'm like, oh, okay. It, it had to be that way. Mm-hmm. 
also, I, I had the realization probably in the middle of volume four that maybe I'm not smart enough for this book. Oh, <laughs> Why is that? Well, just like just because I am like, come on, where's the plot? Where's the plot? Who's that character? I don't want what. Why is that? You why got it in it? the end, I think. Why is it a panel of a bird? Why is this a panel of a tree? Hmm. What What does this scene mean? Like, yeah, it took me. It took me a while to kind of catch up to what was happening mm. in terms of in terms of the pacing how many days did you read three four and five over did you like spend the full week with it or did you just cram it or what i did a volume a day yeah oh I think, nice i think if you had had i think you mm, here's something for but the also readers, okay here's here, the here's listeners. the thing so but before before you say anything I, 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 I'm recognizing a thing in myself for the podcast where, because I'm reading and I know there's a deadline on it, even if I do give myself days, I might be going through it just a bit too fast. Mm. Mm. My mind's blanking at the series that I really love that I kept reading. Tokyo Tetra Girls? Yes. Yeah, so I, I immediately went to the next volume and I enjoyed it even more than the previous volumes. And then because I took time with it, like, uh-huh. like there, there wasn't kind of a bit of a, the, the pressure of like, oh, I've got to finish this by a certain date, which is m- almost all my reading for work. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is a series that I'll probably down the road reread, probably in physical format, just to be slower with it and kind of take it in more. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was going to say, I think that if this is a series that either you have to read all at once because it's because it's slow and light you can read it quickly and sort of take it all in or like volume four and volume five had i think eight months in between their releases because they would caught up to the japanese editions so this is a book that you could have i guess if you're reading it on your own really luxuriated in and maybe reread a couple of times and then maybe reread you know three and four because they the story sort of ends at two and then restarts in three four and five as like one long sort of yeah thing to me mm-hmm. no man i totally feel that i think in the middle yeah i let, let's let's leave it at i totally feel what you're saying on the one hand and on the other that's just the artificial nature of talking about a book on a podcast i think like yeah i yeah. think if we were just reading books to get together the conversation would probably be i think the conversation would be pretty similar but the way we interact with the books might be different there'd be a lot I mean? more cussing lot more (laughs) (laughs) but there's a moment a long moment where she goes to tokyo big site and Mm. it kind of details the process to get there the walk kind of the stops you go to Mm. and i think that's one of those kind of slow moments but that actually almost unsettled me a little bit because it's what we did when we exhibited at kamitia for tcaf in tokyo Mm. when i had barely any japanese i had like high dozo and like Yakiniku wo kudasai, and like that was it, you know? Yeah. So it was both disorienting, but also really vivid, kind of riding this train out to, for all I knew, the middle of nowhere to possibly be murdered in a foreign country. (laughs) It's funny because when we went and did the superhero con with Chip, it's actually out in Chiba. So it's like the trip that you had, except it, the train ride was like an extra 35 minutes long to somewhere that was even more the middle of nowhere. <laughs> was yeah. that Tokyo Comic-Con? Yeah, the Tokyo Comic-Con. Yeah. This oh, yeah. Show. I was there for Stan Lee's opening speech or whatever at that show. Oh, really? And that one was just like... It was weird. Yeah. 
please, please elaborate. <laughs> it was just one of those weird, sad, like, and here's Stan Lee. And like, he comes out and does like the Stan Lee pattern and then they kind of, you know, usher him off stage. But clearly one of those things where he had no reason to be there beyond like money and just that's it. Yeah. Not that money's bad, but it was like, there's a difference between like Stan Lee on Marvel stuff, you know, and then Stan Lee playing Stan Lee. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Can't wait to get that phase of my career. Yeah, <laughs> it's not that he's, you're not doing cons anymore. It's that yeah. you're doing cons yeah. when you're getting Stan Lee money to show up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but all the Comitia stuff, you know, selling to the crowd and like stealing a moment to run around, run around the show. I think Deb, you took me around the show at Comitia that first time, mm. and kind of showed me the ropes because I knew it was only original work, but I didn't know there was like, you know, homemade watches and things like that there. You know, just ridiculous levels of craft it's all made by hand like all made by a person made by a fan or made by a human being it's incredibly different type of show it's not what you expect yeah it's true and it doesn't feel like a craft fair it feels like a it feels like a convention you know they did a great job capturing that vibe i think i think the first time i went to comedia was through a pop japan travel with, mm-hmm. i went with ben applegate he was a he was a tour guide at the time Oh, wow. And Applegate now works for Penguin Random House. The deal was, the part of the tour was, I went with Becky Cloonan and Liesl Gallagher and a bunch of us all went on this manga tour. And the, mm-hmm. the premise was that we would create a book and we would get it printed in Japan and it would be, we could sell it there. Mm. So it was this whole experience, right, of getting your dojinshi and like sending it to the printer and then arriving at the show at the table and there's a box there with your name on it. And this is the first time you're seeing the book. You know? mm-hmm. So this was, that was the first time I, that was a, a pretty special tour because it was so geared towards people who were interested in making manga. Yeah. We, you know, we got to meet manga artists. We did all kinds of things that were pretty special, but, you know, going to Comedia that first time was, wow, this is so different. This is, it was not like any American show that I'd ever been mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And then I think we had to figure out what, like the, the magazine is basically like a catalog. It's both your ticket to get in and a catalog of the show. Mm. And it's like these little boxes that have the, the, the name of the artist and a little drawing. And then there's a big map that says, this area has travel manga. This area has boys love manga. This area has girls love manga. Mm. And it's like, it's all mapped out. And you could go down a whole row of just cat manga. Yes. <laughs> Heaven. <laughs> a whole row of just essay manga about all kinds of random shit, like best curry and girl, mm. cute pinup girls with different types of vintage cameras. Like, it is just... Was that one real? Cr- yes, I have one. Okay. If you want it, I'll give it to you. So <laughs> <laughs> like, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and then the one I keep talking about, right, that... Oh, with the soda can one? Soda cans in love. Yeah. Love. We're keeping this PG, right? You got to erase my swear (laughs) from the beginning of the episode. But yeah, I actually, at that comedia, I bought a Tom York from Radiohead themed doujinshi about, (laughs) I think he was in love or he was in love with the author. It's a whole thing. Anyway. I bought the Rammstein doujinshi. (laughs) Oh, the Rammstein one. Oh, man. wasn't, Wasn't the Tom York one called Radiohead head? <laughs> it's so special. <laughs> that kind of experience is so like 
tons of people go to comic conventions, I think, but us in particular have had the relatively unique experience of having had most of the experiences in this book. Yeah. You know, going to shows, making a book, being a fan. Befriending an old lady. <laughs> yeah, befriending an old lady and getting her to like let you use her apartment to hang out in with all of your hoodlum friends. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much where I'm just like, wow, like this is really it feels so warm to me. Yeah. Like everything we've been talking about, you know, is part of it. But then also the book's not afraid to just say what its themes are. Mm-hmm. Like when the author comes to Kamitia and she's like, oh, this is like a foundational Dojinchi event. My heart almost bursts. And she's just saying her feelings. And normally that's bad writing. Yeah. But it works because I'm like, you know, she's saying what I'm feeling too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's funny, I, I wonder how other people who aren't in comics or have exhibited comics would feel about mm-hmm. those scenes. Mm. Like, would it, would it just be a bit more like explainer manga at that point? There's no translation notes at the end to explain a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But I think you can just accept a lot of it, too. Mm. Like, you're at a show, the box is at your table, like, then there's some kind of organization back there. You might not know that this is part of, like, the incredibly efficient setup process that they have. Yeah. But you don't necessarily need to. You also don't get a sense of the scale of Comedia. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. In, the, in that scene, it looks like, oh, it's kind of like going to, I don't know, SPX. Or it's like yeah. going to <laughs> Ape. In reality, it is like going to three comic cons with just artist alley tables. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's ludicrous. The scale is not, is not conveyed in this. The last fun Japanese manga thing in here that I saw was she just knows someone who owns a printer. Yeah. And I feel like that would never happen in North America. You might know, own, know someone who owns like a Riso or like a press or something like that. Yeah. But an entire print shop and can just do a book for you? No way. That's like a fairy tale. <laughs> I, can't, I don't know. If I could say one thing about this episode, it is the opposite of a fairy tale in Japan. It is so easy to become a self-published artist in Japan, a doujinshi artist. Like, I did it. I did it, and I, don't ha- I didn't have any Japanese at the time. I just sent them a bunch of files, and there was a box of books waiting at my table. Like, it was awesome that this is a thing that you can do as long as you've got, like, 400 bucks. Like, you can throw together a pretty solid doujinshi and you don't have to do, you don't have to interact with printers. You don't have to like worry about shit. It's you literally download a template, drop your art into it, and then re-upload the template file, and they just print it the way you want it. And it's just the best. Like the the way the, because it's so set up for people to do that. Like, and it, there was a time in in North American comics where it looked like comics might <laughs> might actually get to that point. There was. There's a print, there's some old school shit, so I apologize if you don't care because it's not about manga, but there was a print broker. His name was Harold Buchholz back in the like late 90s, early 2000s. And he would be the guy that interfaced with a printer for you. So if you're an indie guy, you literally send him like high res JPEGs of your artwork, TIFFs if you wanted to. He would turn it into a book, deal with the printer, and then send you digital print order files back. That was awesome. I know Prenny used to do that where they would like, you could send them 32 black and white pages and they would photograph them, digit like photograph them and then print them for you and send it back. There used to be all these different ways. And we've just, the comics industry has gotten so small and so weird, frankly, that you, there's just aren't a lot of printers. There aren't a lot of people doing digital print to order in that way anymore. Even Amazon has stopped Comixology Submit for, for doing like print on demand stuff and, and having your stuff up on college, Comixology just in the last couple of weeks. And it, is really 
this is still a thriving, going concern in Japan, and it just there's there's work to support it. There's Although people. this is the the pandemic has made things hard for some people. So. Oh yeah, I should we, I should say as of <laughs> November 2019, it's a thriving, going thing in Japan. I think when all the dust settles, it's going to be a different industry. But you can still get a like I I can. I'll put one link in the show notes because there's like a million of them that where you can just go and get your work printed if you really want to in Japan. You won't be there to get it, unfortunately. You can't get into the country, but you know, you could have a doujinshi sitting in the comedia hall if you really want to. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool. And I wish, I think a lot of people are, are going digital now. I think a lot of people are making comics, going kick, Kickstarter. But like, yeah, the thrill of being able to like draw a comic and put it together and have it debut at a show, if you've only got 20 pages and you don't need to run a giant campaign for it and you don't need to like leverage your social media you could just show up i think that that's really valuable on its mm-hmm. own merits and it's something that we are really losing and it's unfortunate i don't think we're thinking about what we're losing i should mention it now because i'll never remember to email it to you but my friend caleb goldner who i'm actually going to put out like a short comic with later later this year he exhibited that comic cat and wrote up a whole mm. long blog post about it kind of how he did who he talked to and it works as instructions. So yeah, when borders are open again, go for broke. I've read that. It's really good, actually. Yeah. Great thing. I recommend it as well. So yeah, that'll be in the show notes. Thanks. We never asked Chip what he thought. He just sort of jumped in on everybody else's. And usually we turn it around on the host at some point and be like, <laughs> what did you actually think, Chip? But I feel like, I don't know. Do you feel like you've given that? We could just let David go back into what he wanted to say. I, I think I've made my feelings known on the subject. All right. <laughs> I I very much enjoyed it. Like I said, I thought volumes three and four were maybe too much of a slow burn. On mm-hmm. retrospect, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right. They canceled it at five, or it ended, air quotes, at five. You never know, right? It it felt like the proper ending, though. It felt like, like the think, right ending. Yeah. I think I, even in, in three and four, it's like you can see that this is a very finite story Hmm. because like, what do you do after exhibiting meeting the author? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would read, I would read a sequel to this though. Wouldn't you like, sorry, there's a couple hints that maybe is just as interested in girls as boys that come up. There's a thread in volume three. And then again, in volume five where she talks about how that one classmate is really pretty Mm -hmm. and how she isn't sure how she feels about that. Mm-hmm. There's the well, there's there are, the boyfriend that she never really gets to. There's like so many little threads that there are, there yeah. are, there are a lot of threads, but I mean, I'm okay with leaving them dangling. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah like that's, that's that's kind of the beauty of the story is the fact that it's all about leaving it dangling, right? I, I want to live in this universe and just want to bathe in their warm, loving friendship forever. Frankly, so well, I guess you I'm, I guess you want to find out what happened with Rorschach's diary at the end of Watchmen, eh? One <laughs> of these what's, fans. What's what's Watchmen? I don't understand. What <laughs> Is that nerd the, shit? I don't I don't really nerd shit. I, they're sorry. the kind of dangling threads that I think like they're not obvious, but they're meant for you to be the ones to tug on them a little bit. Yeah. Because one thing that really struck me is they're in the boys love manga that Rara and Ichiro have been reading, there's a moment where like they admit their feelings for each other, and it's followed by what I'm pretty sure was like a, a platonic friend confirmation between Rara and her like male friend, like her childhood friend, mm-hmm. because there's no romance between them at all, but there's a very deep friendship. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like he has that moment where he asks her to come to see his ex off at the airport. 
or like yeah. part of the way. It is just comforting. And she gives him advice to to do it. She encourages yeah. him to do it, yeah. you know, because otherwise he'll regret it. And, and that's not a romantic type of like encouragement. That's like you're my buddy. Yeah, this is this is the right thing for you to do. Yeah, mm. and juxtaposing that with the the two guys, like they just moved in together, like they're sharing coffee or tea or whatever it is people drink when they move. When I'm with you, I understand the shape of me. It's sort of about finding your place, and everyone's place is sort of in relation to someone else. Because Urara goes on to say, like, I want to make you feel that way too. I think thinking about you know Ichinoi, like she wants to be that kind of friend for Ichinoi as well as her childhood friend. Mm. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. That's, but I also thought what's interesting was that what doesn't really get explored sometimes is what is the appeal of boys love manga, right? To women. Mm. You know, like why, why are people so obsessed with it? Why, why do women like reading stories about men loving men? Like what's, what's the deal? The point that I got was on, it was on volume four, page 54. Urara is lying on the bed and she's, she's just frustrated with herself, right? She's saying, I'm getting jealous of pretty people. I'm tired. Like Sakura kun, it's amazing that you can just love what you love. I want to be like you. Yeah. Mm. And that to me kind of like that was like maybe that was the moment of explaining what makes a boys love manga so resonant or so meaningful to that this reader, right? It's like mm. you can imagine like people have said like with boys love manga, why it's different than just you know a traditional men male female romance is that you can imagine yourself as a female reader to be either, either boy. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. either be the aggressor or the passive one. You can be the top or the bottom. <laughs> you can put yourself in either role and you don't have to compare yourself to the, you know, like if it was a female character, go like, oh, well, she's pretty. Oh, well, she's like this. I'm not like that. And yeah. boys love, you can kind of project yourself on either character, mm-hmm. whatever your interests or fantasies are. But it's it's just interesting, yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's yeah. not a, it doesn't seem to be about this. In Urara's case, it's not about being titillated by the sex, but it's about the 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 realness of the relationship or the the drama of the relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. the connection. I would like to posit that it is also about the sex, and it we probably is. Yes, but it's not in this book because <laughs> we find out she's got a box of slightly more mature manga in the uh, very first volume but we're not talking about that we're talking about this particular title yeah and her yeah. relationship like how she relates to ichinoi about it but even ichinoi it starts reading all the really dirty smutty doujinshi stuff as well and loves it but you just don't yeah. focus there because it's not it's not what this is necessarily about it's funny i was actually going through the the show note the photos for the show notes and i found a photo i took of this on the shelf when it was being talked about as like a hot new title and it was right next to another book that was actually another book that was an essay manga slightly more nonfiction than this one is i guess that was also about two women discussing bl and what they like about bl and that series hasn't been licensed whereas this one was and it's very much the difference between like that was an essay manga and essay manga rarely rarely gets licensed in north america and this really is about talking about BL but talking about friendship and how this is like a way that people connect and talk about their own feelings as opposed to talking about the, the work itself and I think that that's, that's kind of huge I'll uh, yeah. try and figure out what that other title was and put it in the show notes for this episode yeah it's really neat yeah as host I am looking that we're coming up near the hour mark and the duties of a host is to have things move swiftly <laughs> <laughs> what are your final thoughts 
And I'm going to start with, hmm, let's see, Chris. <laughs> You're such a dick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my final thoughts. You got two seconds. One. Good. Good. Two. That's it. I got it. It's good. Uh, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I actually want a Paradise Kiss style five and one omnibus of this one day. I've got yeah. all the physical vault ones except for number five, which I'll pick up. But I think I think I want a nice all in one edition of this. I hope Seven Seas is able. To, <laughs> I hope the the paper shortage stops and people are able to print manga again. But I hope Seven Seas is able to do that one day. I think that this is a book that deserves to be read from beginning to end. Has this been a popular series in North America? I don't know. With a certain kind of reader, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Short answer, if it's not a shonen title, like or a very rare exception, it's not selling the crazy numbers. Yeah. But and this is one of them. But this is people talk about this book, which I think is really key. I don't know if it was I don't know if we'll ever know if it was a financial sales success or anything like that, but I don't think it was especially for the first couple of volumes, I don't think it was a failure. Yeah. All right. Deb, you're up next. Final thoughts. <laughs> well, I, I think it the Volume three, four, and five definitely deliver on the promise of one and two. It's a really nice collection of story. It ends on a really great note. Gives you a lot to think about. It it rewards repeat rereadings because you see hints of what happens later in the previous chapters. It's just a really lovely, lovely warm heart, warm spirited read that has a little bittersweetness. And yeah, it's just really nice. It's a great book about friendship i don't think the title does it any favors honestly but, yeah. you know. i actually have a question about that like my one qualm with the book and i guess this also doubles as part of my final thought is that it's really good but the japanese title was veranda of metamorphosis and yeah. the book ends on a veranda and she's literally like it's like the prow of a boat and then there's the last page and she runs off and i feel like there's like just one missed metaphor in there something that didn't quite make it into translation Mm. for whatever reason and it's probably just you know there's too much of a play on words too much of a you know too much wordplay to make it through into localized but other than that like can, i thought this we, was we really can ask glorious. jocelyn about it oh yeah, yeah true i would like to, <laughs> yeah i think putting bl in the title as a sales was probably a not a bad sales thing because bl actually sells pretty well particularly in digital but mm -hmm. i think oh there's a there's another final thought. I don't know. I think you can read this and not even like BL. It's such a good story about two people. You could even actively dislike BL for whatever reason and still find a lot to really love in this series. And I wonder because it's BL is a tool that they use to explore the series if that yeah was the best choice, particularly because BL wasn't in the Japanese title. It was, you know, Engawa. It was like veranda like David's saying. And I yeah. think that that end of the book metaphor did not land where she's sitting on the Engawa, the veranda again, and goes, oh, it's like being on the prow of a ship because she's looking into her future and she's like looking into the distance and whatever. You know, you're absolutely right. And I, yeah, I don't know. So that's Sometimes basically my gonna be only complaint is that there's one little spot that I miss and would like someone to talk about to me after they listen to this episode. Other than that, great job. Well done. <laughs> nice. My final De thoughts are... Wait, wait. Did we interrupt Deb? Deb, did you want to... Did you have a final... No, did no. you? That okay, was it. Sorry. So, David, <laughs> cut this part. Chip, start over. Three, Chris, two, one. Chris, stop pretending to be the host here. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I'm the host now. You are the host. Go on. And my final thoughts are, this was a very good book. <laughs> so anyways, let's pause for a commercial 
And uh, we'll be right back with more manga explaining. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed those commercials, which are all very much endorsed by us. Now that we're back, it's time for Q&A, but I'm the one with the cue this week. Before we started recording, the, the four of us were talking, and, and Deb mentioned something about American Comics Code, and it got me thinking, is there such a thing as a Japanese Comics Code? And mm. if not... What are the rules or laws that have evolved to handle manga? Go. That is a really try good that question. With Thank you. Uh, I mean, my contention could... is that there is, mm. but it's not like the comic. It's not as codified as a comics code, where it had okay. to be. Everything has to be reviewed. However, there is definite rules, right? Like the no no penises. <laughs> and no, no people unless care. they're drawn like elephants, in yeah. which ah. case it's okay, like <laughs> Shinchan and Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah, like you just asked a big question, yo. Basically, non-sexual nudity in Japan isn't a big deal. There's public bathing, which we've all gone and done. Sorry, not mm-hmm. all of us listening, but all of us participating in the podcast. Like being yeah. naked with, around other people, kind of just not a big deal. So, especially young people like being nude before you enter puberty it's not a thing like until you're five if you're a boy you can go in the girl's side of the bathhouse with your mom because she's the one who took you and same thing if you're a girl vice versa like it's just so like crayon chin chin or goku when he's a bit when he's like a little kid you know his wiener hanging out not a big deal in japan very big deal here and i'm not going to go over that again i'll just link it but basically yeah people freak out here about that kind of thing but there are rules governing it like you can't really show penises at all or like vagina stuff. And that's where like vagina queers. stuff. Well, like, so <laughs> there's a, yeah, let's use actual real names. So there's a wonderful lady named Roku Dinashiko <laughs> who did a book, which means like nasty woman basically, but she did a yeah. book that was basically about how she took a 3d model of her vulva and turned it into a boat. She 3d printed it and then sailed around in her boat and her model and her boat were cited for obscenity her manga is called was obscenity it's unfortunately yeah. out of print right now which is like a huge bummer but she came to tcaf since we're talking about tcaf this episode anyway she's great just the just the existence of mature people's body parts is obscene within japan 
And her contention is that it shouldn't be. Around the same time as she was dealing with her shit, there was a gay artist who would do sort of erotic gay nude photography, huge in Japan, that would have wieners in it. Did not go over well with the Japanese police. It was shut down. He was fine, blah, blah, blah. So like, there is obscenity. There are things that are considered obscene. Those things have changed. Like you have to mosaic it out. Like you have to black it out, or mm-hmm. do like a little mosaic filter, or whatever. It used to be you couldn't show pubic hair at all, and now that you, now you can, just as long as it's in a non-sexual context, and also there's no wieners or hard wieners or or exposed, you know, parts. <laughs> I guess so. It's like a whole. There's a whole thing, and it applies equally to all forms of media, including yeah. Art. There aren't special manga rules, but individual publishers will have different standards that they adhere to particularly within different age groups of magazines what you can get away with at a shueisha jump magazine isn't what you can get away with in jump plus isn't what you can get away with in a book that skips going into a magazine at all and comes out as an original graphic novel and that's that's the general rule but that's a real fast and loose rule that is not evenly applied so it's it's a genital based thing, but there there aren't any really rules governing like depictions of crime or violence. That is, I don't think so. Generally yeah. correct, mm-hmm. but there are. If something is too close to an existing crime, for example, like if something uses real life whatever, there's no rule against it. But you can also be sued for profiting off of like the proceeds of a crime so something real happens and you don't clear it with all the people like the family members of the survivors sorry to get real dark here for a sec but or or whatever they can sue you for like like emotional trauma and whatever and win like a hundred percent chance that they're going to win because you didn't clear it with them first it's yeah but it also that's where you get into like you know all kinds of exciting hentai that is that is weird and wacky and wild and not always okay as well. It's because you can draw these things, but as long as you black out the only part that you have to black out to keep the censors happy, there's nothing illegal about it within its context in Japan. And that is also changing. So the, the person who's in charge of Katakawa in Japan, Katakawa is the parent company of Yen Press in North America, but they also licensed other publishers put out a statement i think last month that said look we're just gonna have to start self-censoring because people around the world you know katakawa just opened a theme park by the way in northern in like north of tokyo so they've got around the world on the mind lately but he put out a statement that was like yeah we're gonna have to start self-censoring because some stuff is too weird and we can't just keep putting out hentai and whatever and it it hurts people's opinions of our our culture industries which is manga and anime and whatever comments didn't go over well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it's the same thing that happened at the Tokyo mayor maybe 10 years ago and then the Osaka mayor who's just talking about obscenity obscenity like yeah it's a real pickle <laughs> yeah Where you can't show the pickle you can't <laughs> well sorry you could put a pickle over it though gotcha. and here's the other thing I've got books in my collection that show all of the bits if you're a smaller publisher you can just do what you want to do roll the dice and hope you don't get noticed you know what yeah. I mean yeah. And it's the same thing here. It's like with the undergrounds were depicting drug use, which could be considered illegal in some jurisdictions at the time in the 1970s. So they would do it, you know, with like fake names or they would do it in mail order directly to people. And, you know, the most famous comics case in North America is someone who drew a thing. Someone ordered it directly from them. And because it, they, de- they deemed it as obscene and it crossed state lines, that person went to prison, like prison, prison. That's yeah. the Mike Deanna case. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, like North America's laws are. I think worse in every way than Japan's uh, personally, but also 
like that kind of artistic freedom you don't get it back once you give it up (laughs) (laughs) so i caution and urge our japanese friends to fight back against self-censorship whenever possible deb did you have anything you want sorry and i jumped in but i think deb has just as much insight into this kind of stuff. No, and I was just going to say that uh, my, my my hot take on this has always been that if Japan's manga scene is basically what would happen to America if we if we didn't have the comics code and the seduction of the innocent. Mm. Because it, Japan just continued on this trajectory of making adult, violent, anything goes manga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, and then America just had like, went off this cliff where like after EC, boom, that's it. There was like this, there's this long pause. And then that maybe comes up again with underground comics, but it takes a long time for American mainstream comics to go back to this adult place. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it did come back to this adult place, it went back with a vengeance. So like women in refrigerators kind of thing. And, yeah, a friend of mine jokes that every superhero writer's first image comic is always the one with all the boobs and cuss words. Looks like they can finally unleash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 its own thing, right? So I I still think that what some people really like about manga is manga still has that that sense of oh my god, almost anything goes. Yeah. That you can't get away with in American comics, and it's delightful and surprising, and you know it's just kind of like ooh, titillating, you know, crazy. Like oh so creative so free so so nuts like yeah bears boobs whatever you know yeah. like bears boobs and whatever <laughs> you're on mongasplaining dot com so I don't know so a, a, a follow up question then what about that most flagrant and fantastical of crimes homosexuality mm. how is Japan like like I'm thinking about because we're talking about boys love manga. Like, when did it start, and was there any kind of pushback against depictions of gay romance in manga? Like, what? Yes. What? I don't. I don't even know what. I don't even know what the Japanese laws are in regards to homosexuality. What the what the history of it is? It was never criminalized. Yeah, and homosexuality was practiced pretty late, but. How can I say this without offending a huge chunk of our audience? It was the introduction of Western ideals into Japan after the opening of the country in the late 1800s and early 1900s that maybe showed that the gay shit wasn't cool. And it turns out the gay shit is cool and super cool and you know they should have stuck along, but it became unfashionable, let's say, hmm. for that to happen. And it's always existed in the shadows, but because of that, because the public sentiment turned against it there was a lot of pressure to erase a lot of gay works and a lot of gay history within which you know anyone who's ever studied gay history anywhere in the world knows that knows that there's always a lot of pressure to erase the gays out of history but yeah straight up it it's a weird situation because yeah queerness is like kind of an integral part to a lot of things that we think of as japanese especially samurai culture for example Mm -hmm. but it just gets talked it doesn't get talked about within Japan, especially in a contemporary context. And it's up to, it only really comes out in porn because in porn, it's already pornographic. It's already like hentai, like etchy, like whatever. It's already bad, like air quotes, bad. It's already gone past that point. (laughs) So you can say whatever you want to, but like, like not just samurai, but also like monks. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I was with Jocelyn in a bookstore. We were out in, out in Chiba actually. And I picked up this manga, this like BL manga. 
that was about two like shaven headed bald Buddhist monks in the 1800s. And the quote on the cover saying you should buy this because it was like an OB strip on it was from the dude who does Golden Kamui. And Jocelyn oh, yeah. reads it and laughs, laughs and laughs, laughs. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I'll just basically this quote says, oh, my God, this manga is so hot. I read it and I I was really embarrassed by how turned on I got you know straight dude golden kamui as like him <laughs> recommending this like super hot bl manga about monks and it was just like yeah i think things are things are changing for sure but yeah there's pull quotes say, in japan are really different aren't they pull yeah, quotes, wow. Wow. sorry if you're a bl publisher you can do whatever the you want that's like uh, a chip level pull quote it's i love good. it i yeah. love it it's tough to gauge as like a straight comics fan in the u.s like mm. the what I know of gay culture here and gay culture there, if there's a better phrase for that, please forgive me. Like I can't figure some things out sometimes. Yeah. Like in One Piece, for instance, there's a character, Bon Clay, Mr. Number Two, who is a crossdresser. But it's done in a way where you're like, I, I don't know if this is transphobic, but it probably isn't. But then he's a great character, so hopefully it isn't. But I should probably, you know, like talk to some people about it you know mm. but i guess much less controversial in japan because he's part of a tradition that they understand better like you know it being part of their culture so as like an american fan i try to be very careful with like the conclusions that i come to mm. cross-dressing in japan roughly equates to cross-dressing in britain up until about 10 years ago where it's like yeah every comedian you know if they're on an ensemble comedy show, we'll do a bit where they dress up like women. Kids in the Hall, that was their biggest thing, one of the biggest things they took from British comedy. Mm. Obviously, in the last 10 years, the TERFs have horribly taken hold of the British comedy world. It's really weird. Yeah. But yeah, straight up, it's, I keep saying straight up, and it's the gayest. <laughs> but it's cultural, it's, it's cultural mores. It's just different cultural yeah. mores. Like, and being cross-dresser is different than being trans and whatnot there's you know you can right now i'll put it in the show notes speaking of jocelyn she helped work on a, a documentary called queer japan which actually mm. gets into sort of all of these ideas and many many more and includes an interview with tagame sensei gengaro tagame the mangaka that, oh, that nice. talks about how gay queerness interacts with specifically manga as well but that's like exactly what i want to read yeah it's really good it's a hour and a half long documentary it's totally worth your time I, I like it. It's beautifully shot too. So just to quickly actually answer your question, because I'm terrible at that ship. I'm so sorry. The first openly boys love story story is generally considered Heart of Thomas in 1974 by Motohagio. And in three episodes, we're going to read another book by Motohagio because Heart of Thomas was is or is not in print. It's Schrodinger's in print right now. It's being reprinted, but yeah, not, sure. it's, not, it's not readily available right now. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> like every, no one can get the time at the printers. But yeah, I, I think they intend to reprint it. But anyway, we're going to read some more okay. audio. But that was actually really deeply influenced by British film. So British, the British cinema had stuff that was instituted later, but it didn't have the Hayes Code. The Hayes Code in the US, which sort of crippled film, so that you couldn't show queers at all. Or if they did, they had to be like just the worst possible light, like murderers and rapists and whatever, whatever. If anyone is if, is gay, lesbian, by anything, they're they're awful. So that's the Hayes Code, and, and that changed film. But yeah, boarding school dramas in the 1960s and 70s were two boys at a British 
boarding school become friends and then maybe more there's like a whole genre of that shit and uh, yeah. this is the manga the shoujo manga version of that and it was a transformative work that inspired a lot of works that came after but more to your point and to what david was getting at this genre became so popular that it became the overriding genre of doujinshi to the point mm. that sf doujinshi maker like the the dudes the dudes who were making doujinshi at the time in the 1970s pushed back against it to an insane degree like if you want to get real deep on fan cultures in in japan you can because they've meticulously cataloged their own fan culture but like the early comicettes there were real fights about how much how much to not include women because women were always kind of okay as long as they didn't talk about the gay shit so there's like sf like science fiction do, doujinshi versus bl doujinshi and these passionate fights anyway it got sorted out don't like well it got Wasn't dealt with comicette <laughs> founded by a or co-founded by a group of like female doujinshi artists there are a lot of cooks that have seasoned that particular broth in the beginning and it grew out of a bunch of fan associations but yeah there's a good the memorial museum uh, deb we went to that there's a memorial museum in one of the little neighborhoods in tokyo and i just remember that it's at the top of a hill in like the worst most annoying way but it's like the, one of the dudes who founded comic oh yon, the yonezawa museum the yonezawa museum it's Thank at meiji i think it's at one of meiji the university and i don't I don't think so. I think it is, but it, uh, it's the guy who founded Comic Cat. Yeah. He's, he left his whole library, his collection to oh, wow. the university. Wow. This yeah. was what I referred to before. Like he had his collection is, was like Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse level. Yeah. yeah he had yeah. a warehouse of <laughs> comics and doujinshi and fan publications going back. So I've gotten to see, like, I got to see the program, I think it was from the second or third ever comic yet in the 19, 1970s. That was kind of cool. Sounds face-meltingly cool. Oh my goodness. It's, <laughs> it's really well I get Sorry. your reference. That was, that was very good. You're all much better than me. <laughs> anyway, I've said enough, but basically we're going to start getting into the origins of, of BL manga a little bit with the Motohagyo Drunken Dream. And I think I would like to, I would love to read a BL manga on the podcast at some point. I think that would be really cool. But I don't, all my BL knowledge is 10 years at a date because it's been a long time since I sold books for a living. So yeah. know, well, maybe we can open it up. We've been threatening Chip with Dick Fight Island for a while now. <laughs> that one's is, that, is that That's boys love? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how men relate to each other is on the battlefield. This yeah, is yeah. true. This but upcoming true. on Manga Explaining, you mentioned Drunken Dream. And the episode after that is Raw Hero. So we're kind of doing boys love and obscenity back to back. Oh, so right. it's going to be a very fun couple of weeks of manga explaining, I think. I'm going to have to it. recommend Doraemon so we can bring it back down. At yeah, we're going to have to <laughs> <laughs> find some way to fix the curve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Chip, that was a great question. It made yeah. Chris say Wiener like 12 times. <laughs> that's, that's what I always hope for when I host an episode of manga explaining. We're doing shout outs. So, hey, who's got shout outs this week? Let's start with Chris. <laughs> My shout out this week is the awesome new music video by Dua Lipa, which is the third video for her song Levitating. And it is animated like it is a late 80s, early 90s Sailor Moon episode. And it's so awesome. And apparently it's done by like this fan group that's called Nostalik. And I'll put it all in the show notes. But yeah, like it's a bop of a song and has like a real good like 80s, 90s disco kind of like bop vibe. And it is so good. But the animation in this is 
Chef's Kiss Perfect. I <laughs> nice. love this music love video. It. And the, the right. song, too. Check it out. Put it in the show notes. It's in the show notes. Deb, how about you? Shoutouts? Mine's is not that good. <laughs> not as good as that. But I did really enjoy a new sh- shoujo manga called In the Clear Moonlight Dusk by Mika mm. Yamamori. It's from Kodansha. It's about a girl who looks very masculine who f- and every and she's very chivalrous and everyone everyone calls her the prince mm. and then she falls in love or thinks she's falling in love or this guy comes on to her and he's also considered a prince and unattainable <laughs> so it's basically mm. these two characters having kind of this interesting romantic tension i, I really enjoy it sounds good chris put in the show notes done <laughs> David, what's your shout out? My shout's a challenge to our listeners. I thought of this while reading Beale Metamorphosis, but if you had to do a Beale Metamorphosis that was just as kind, but with another genre, what would you do? Oh. Let us know on Twitter in the comments. Be as serious or as <laughs> joking as you want. But it's such like a fun manga that I'm wondering if you could do it with like I don't know, action like- comedies. Like Marvel superhero metamorphosis? Is that what you're? Yeah. <laughs> no. You, well, you know what you gotta do, David. You gotta do the 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 action movie metamorphosis with you and your grandma talking about John Wick. No, we totally could. Oh, yeah, it'd be very so easy. So good. Uh, we probably have to call it uh, Patriot Games metamorphosis, though. That's like the origin of all of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's a that's cool. Nice, nice. I love it. Chris, put it in the show notes. Done. My shout out. Look, I just finished The Sopranos last night. That's it. A series from 20 years ago. It's not much of a shout out. I hear it's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. It's 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 always weird watching a show from 20 years ago, especially one that was like edgy. Because mm-hmm. it's like every 10 minutes I'm like, Would, is this okay today? Mm. <laughs> but there's a, a lot of violence and probably too many boobs. Wow. And and yet I still enjoyed it. <laughs> Can there really be too many boobs? Yes, actually. I've seen some anime. I think so. <laughs> it's like 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 the main character owns a strip club. So like every episode it's just like a gratuitous scene in the strip club with just like women just slowly dancing. I'm just like, I don't I don't actually like this. Is that where the HBO thing sex position came from? Where they're always like Delivering was, important plot points. That was Game of Thrones. Okay. But you can see how Sopranos could also fall into that category. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, why else are you on cable TV? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I will say James Gandolfini might be the best actor of all time. He's like, really there good. Are, <laughs> there are a lot of scenes that I'm just like, wow, like, I can't believe the range he's got. And just a hot. Oh, so hot. Okay, well, that's that's the other thing. Like, you kind of like halfway through, you're just like, oh wait, no, I get it. I get why like ladies are into him. At first, you're like, yeah. no way, but he's he's a he's smoldering. My sub shout out is to watch the drop with Tom Hardy and Gandolfini. Oh yeah, no, that's great with the dog. Yeah, really good. <laughs> a great book too. Oh really? Okay. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Sub shout out. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it. So uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up as long as Chris doesn't want to interrupt and tell me we got to do something else. Cutting all this out. <laughs> You're cutting all this out. 
This has been Manga Splaining, episode number 34. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing City, Volume 1, by Kiichi Arawi. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com, or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. Special thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. See ya! America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.